0: Let's begin. Yesterday we talked about the introduction to Homer's Odyssey by considering the last bits of the moments from the returns, the epic that came right before the epic of the Odyssey. We also considered some of the dramatis personae or the major characters that we're going to see in the course of the Odyssey. And then we also talked about one of the major themes of the Odyssey. Can anybody recall what this theme was, yes? nothing is as it seems and just as we discussed yesterday we will see several characters in this story that appear in one way if you look at them from a certain perspective if you look at them in another way you will see them in a very different light uh, specifically you will see multiple times Odysseus will be misjudged by his appearance once by a Cyclops considering him a weak and not to be feared man he will pay for this Once, when he is covered in filth from the sea and he appears in the nude in front of a maiden girl named Nausicaa. And then yet again by multiple people in Ithaca when he, though a king, appears as a beggar, showing precisely that it is that which you do not know and that which you do not see that can be most harmful to you rather than the opposite, as perhaps the ostrich would suggest to you. And so let's get into... The text itself. So, let's read the first few lines, the so-called proem, lines 1 through 10. Tell me, Muse, of the man of many ways, who has driven far journeys after he had sacked Troy's sacred citadel. Many were they whose cities he saw, whose minds he learned of. Many the pains he suffered in his spirit on the wide sea. Struggling for his own life and the homecoming of his companions. Even so, he could not save his companions. Hard though he strove to, they were destroyed by their own wild recklessness. Fools who devoured the the oxen of Helios, the sun god, and he took away the day of their homecoming there's a few interesting things to note about this poem. In contrast to the Iliad, which said, Sing to me, goddess of the anger of Peleus' son Achilles," We have tell me, muse. Uh, tell rather than sing. A more rational account, an explanation. Of the man of many ways. Polutropon, that's Odysseus. The man who travels many ways, but also has many ways of interacting with those <laughs> around him he sacked Troy and he's seen many cities and we will see many cities alongside him he has suffered much in terms of pain on the sea very interesting that you see that this man he has sacked a city which means he's been at a what a war and yet where does he suffer so many pains on the sea so it is the return home that is most painful well though he struggles for his life and the life of his companions do his companions survive no why do they not survive his own lack of skill or some flaw of their own yes because of the their own wild recklessness and in fact we will see zeus i think it's line 34 it's in the first 40 lines or so literally say that he'll say the fools the humans they often blame the gods for all the mis- their misfortunes and yet they do not realize that it is so often not we but they that cause their misfortunes and he will give the example of Agisthos who was the half brother, not half brother but rather cousin of Agamemnon raises his brother and we're called that Agisthos took the crown of Agamemnon by committing a, um, a coup d'etat with Clytemnestra he and she killed Agamemnon and then what happened? Those. Even though he was warned by Hermes explicitly, do not kill Agamemnon, he did. What happens though several years later? Orestes shows up and kills him. Who caused Aegisthus' misfortune? Zeus? By sending Hermes to identify that that course of action would lead to destruction? Or Agisthos by not taking that advice? And so... You might say, were the gods trying to help or to hurt Agisthus? Help Help him. Did he listen? Mm -hmm. So perhaps it is not the gods that lead to human uh, error and tragedy, but not listening to the gods that does. Though that does disagree a little bit with what we saw in the Iliad. Of course, Athena does lead a couple of Trojans astray, Pandaros, during Book 4, and of course Hector when he wants to stand against Achilleus as well who devoured the oxen of Helios, the sun god. Helios here is Apollo. And so we see that just as Apollo was involved in the beginning of the Iliad by sending plague down on the Achaeans, he is also involved here at the beginning of the Odyssey and is in some way involved in now not simply the death of Achaeans by plague and their animals, but the death of other Achaeans, Ithacans specifically, because of something that they have done to him very similar to how Odysseus has made Poseidon mad at him, very similar to how Aes Lesser made Athena mad at him, very similar to how Agamemnon made Artemis mad at him. We will see exactly what happens to these men when they make Apollo mad at them, And we will see that this is a great symbol, potentially, just as Apollo is a light god, and light is a symbol for consciousness, or intellect, or clarity and clearness of thought. that perhaps when your stomach... Fights against your mind, your stomach suggests a course of action that might not be as salubrious for you as your mind would be. Perhaps sometimes if you follow your gluttony or desire, it will lead you astray, it will lead you away from your home, and that too is a major, major theme here. Just as in Dante's Purgatorio, the theme is to go home, the theme here in the Odyssey is. How is it that you can get home, and what are the many dangers that can lead you astray and keep you ever from getting there? Huh. All right, let's talk facts, or rather let's get into the body of the text itself. So, Odysseus, book one, he's stuck in a cave on an island called Ogygia with a nymph called Calypso. Something, uh, A couple facts about Calypso. Her name comes from the Greek word kalutem, which means to cover. That's where the eucalyptus tree comes from. So Odysseus is in some way covered and hidden right now in an Edenic paradisical sort of land. In the same way, you might say that Telemachus is sort of covered and hidden in an Edenic paradisical land. You say, well, aren't the suitors sort of bullying uh, uh, Telemachus? Isn't he not really in a paradise? They say, yes, but he is still in the paradise of youth, the place of... No responsibility. Even though things around him are not great, he does not feel responsible for fixing them. So he is not producing the situation around him in the same way that Odysseus on this paradisical island is not producing any of the the fruits or foods around him. They are paradisical in that both require no work. And so, back to Calypso. She is the daughter of Atlas. Atlas was a titan who holds up the sky, though is often represented as holding up the world. And she has a curse on her. I've heard this from another source. Though I cannot recall the source, that she will be forever alone. So that will explain why she gets a bit upset when she receives a visit from Hermes. that's instigated by Zeus, which is first suggested by Athena. Where Hermes says, you got to let this guy go. Because perhaps Calypso is all the angrier because she has known in her heart the entire time he has been there that he will someday leave her. Though when we read the account of the small epic, the Teligonus, or that fe- features Teligonus, one of Odysseus's additional sons, uh, we, will, we will find out that potentially Odysseus did leave Calypso with a child. And so, not all is lost. It's not a pure loss for her. And thus he joins the, the ranks of Jason and several other Greek heroes of showing up to a place, leaving a child, And then leaving himself. Achilleus has done this. Jason of the Argonauts famously did this with Medea um, as well as Hypsipoli. It's a very famous sort of myth. So Odysseus is stuck in a cave on Ogygia with a sea nymph because Poseidon is angry with him. Technically the cave is actually very nice so you shouldn't think of it as like he's stranded on an island. Also he's spending every day out there crying on the desert or, excuse me, crying on the, the beach. It has sand like a desert. The reason why he's crying is he's tired of paradise. It's like he's been on Hawaii at a vacation resort for seven years. He's ready to get back to the difficulties of life. He wants to suffer. He wants to strive. He doesn't mind the physical pain, the emotional pain of it all. He wants it all. He's bored. And so... Poseidon, why is he angry with Odysseus? We will get into this, but the brief explanation I'll give you is the brief explanation that Zeus gives us. Odysseus found himself in a situation with a giant with one eye called a cyclops, where he had to poke out his eye. And then he revealed his name to the cyclops. He hated the cyclops because the cyclops had eaten six of his men and threatened to eat him last as a present, a guest gift, not a very good gift. And then after Odysseus gave his name to the cyclops, Cyclops called up to Poseidon and asked for Odysseus to be cursed. And so now he's cursed, and then Poseidon wants to either kill him or make his life as hard as possible until he gets home, which is what's been happening. Yes? Didn't Odysseus say his name was something like nobody? We'll talk about that in Book 9. We'll talk about we'll talk about no, plenty of nobodies in here. Yes. And so, Poseidon, just like Zeus in the Iliad, turned his eyes away from the, the fighting. Does anybody recall what he... He, he turned his eyes away from the fighting in book 12 to do. To, who is it that he want, went to watch? This would be something well worth watching if Zeus went to go watch it. The Thracians versus the Mycenae raiders. Keep that in mind. And so Poseidon now turns his eyes to the Ethiopians where Mennon came from. They're giving a grand sacrifice to him. So who is he not going to be focusing on for some time? Odysseus. So who's the smartest goddess who always seizes the opportunity? Athena, not Hera. Hera's very close, but Athena even more so. Athena then runs up to Zeus and says, Zeus! Why is it that we keep Odysseus crying on a beach, trapped by this nymph, Calypso? Whatever has he done to you? He's always given me great sacrifices and followed the gods and given to you great sacrifices. Why do you hate this man so much? He just says, I don't hate him. He's perfectly fine if you want him to be saved send hermes hermes can go down to calypso and say that this man must be free immediately and so because of the employing of athena the very first actions of the text take place and i want you to keep this in mind because when odysseus sees athena for the first time he will not see her for the vast majority of the book for at least the first 13 books or so <clears throat> you should note that she is helping him and his son and his family the entire time she will drift sweet sleep across the eyes of Penelope when she is crying into her pillow every single night. She will help Telemachus uh, with the idea to get a ship, she will help him to call an assembly, she will help him to outfit his ship, she helps him at every stage of the game. She will even help him look good to Nestor by showing herself for a goddess and showing that she accompanies the young man in the same way that she accompanied Odysseus. And she also implores to Zeus to free him. Is Athena helping Odysseus? Yes. This is especially important to keep in mind if you consider her a symbol or a metaphor for the use of the human intellect. Because if that is what she is, which that does seem to be what she is, what helps people most? Using their their minds, right? Alright, so Zeus speaks in the assembly and mentions the wild recklessness of mortals and gives Hermes, and mentions giving Hermes the warning to Agisthos as an example of humans, needing to blame themselves for their own reckless decisions. Even when the gods give them warnings that their actions will lead to catastrophe, the humans, in the case of Aegisthus, will still do the catastrophic actions, and then they will suffer the consequences, and then who do they blame? They blame the gods, even though who is it that warns them in the first place of the catastrophic effects of their actions? The gods. And so it's very similar. It, it seems as if the relationship between the gods and the mortals here is more parental And studential or or childlike. It's like they give good advice, like adults often do, with all of you. And who doesn't take the good advice and then blames the adults? Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. All of you. Good. So Athena advocates for Odysseus. Zeus says, and we went over this a little bit, so I'm just going to go over this very quickly. Zeus says that only Poseidon is angry, for his son Polyphemus, son of Thoosa, a nymph. So it's not that all the gods are angry at Odysseus. He's not angry at Odysseus. Only Poseidon is because of this very specific action. So, Athena shares her plan. She says, "Send Hermes to release Odysseus from Ogygia," and then I, Athena, first as Mentes, a traveler, a sail, a sailor, and then second as Mentor, the keeper of Odysseus' house, will go to Telemachus because he's a bit of a young lumpy. Teenage man, needs a little shaping up. And I'll give him confidence to speak in an assembly, to speak publicly for the first time. And think of your first presentations at the end of the year. Are they hard? Are they scary and difficult? And do your hands sweat? And do you not know how to stand in front of people? And do you look at their faces and then you get self-conscious? Is it hard to speak in front of people? Absolutely, it's the hardest thing in the world. It mixes two primary fears of yours, humiliation and actual fear. Because on the one hand, you don't wanna lose social standing by looking foolish in front of people. On the other hand, you don't want to to, uh, have that giant mass of people, whether it be 20 or 200, turn violent on you because of something you say. It's very intimidating to speak to people. That's why it's so hard. When I teach the speech and debate class or elective, here, it's, uh, that is one of the first things we have to get over and we do it with exposure. Uh, in any case, part of part of Telemachus becoming an adult will not only be learning to fight and learning to kill, but first, learning to speak publicly. And so, you might consider that part of what you must do to become an adult, especially in a, a democracy. Because if you think that things should be in some way, how do you express that to others best? by speaking and often speaking publicly. All right, and so, here's the rest of the plan. She's going to go down and give this guy Telemachus confidence. He's going to give a public assembly, ask for a ship, outfit that ship, and then he's going to sail. Where is he going to sail? Sandy Pylos. Who's the king there? Nestor. We get to see him again. Awesome. He's going to be a little bit sad, but he'll be mostly cool. Then, if we don't get information about Odysseus from him, we're going to take a chariot over to Menelaus's house and Shining like a diamond. It will be so shining and so rich and so resplendent that Telemachus will look at it as if it is a house of a god. And in fact, there will be several features of it. There will be some some, go- some dogs that are uh, either silver or gold. And uh, much that will be silver and gold that we will talk about when we get to book four. All right. And part of what the reason is for this journey for Telemachus is to win him Kleos. glory to have some deeds to put to his name, so that when he returns to Ithaca, he returns not as a child, but as a man, a man ready to fight for what is his, a man ready to fight the suitors who will now be treating him not as a child, but as a man. Now that they see him as a man, not a child, he's a threat. If he's a threat, and they want to get Penelope, what do they want to do to him when he comes back? They will want to kill him, so he will, like a man, like an adult, have to take responsibility for himself and protect himself and protect his house by well engaging with and hopefully exterminating the pests which are the pseudos. all right good so let's talk about or, or rather the last thing I should mention is that is the plan that Athena lays out and Athena does then go down or rather zeus ascends to the plan athena then goes down to help telemachus hermes then goes down to help odysseus we will see hermes and odysseus engage and interact in book five now for the first four books we will see uh, telemachus engage the first two books we'll see him at ithaca book three pylos book four uh sandy or excuse me uh, uh shining like and so athena flies down to ithaca she appears as a man named Mentes in front of the gates of Odysseus's house. Inside the house, Telemachus is sitting off alone by himself while the suitors, like usual, are drinking, eating, listening to uh, Phineas, I believe, singing, and making fools of themselves. A knock hits on the door. It's Mentes. He is a sailor from abroad who has just come to town and it has to be not a serving woman and not one of the suitors but the young lord of the house Telemachus who greets, who is the only person who greets and takes the things of this guest showing that this house is in order or in disorder it is in disorder, it is in disarray and so Telemachus sends with Mentes, who is actually Athena and she asks him questions do the people hate you? Why can't you get rid of these suitors? He says, the people don't hate me, but we're in a strange situation. My father has been gone for a long amount of time, and people think he's dead, and they're ready to move on, but we just don't know. So it's been so difficult, and my wife, or excuse me, my mother, very Oedipal slip there, refuses yet to choose one of the suitors because of this, this web she's making. And so we, we stay here in a place of limbo, is essentially what he expresses, and also by, while looping in some idea that um, he may not be as much as his father, which uh, I always think is sort of funny and interesting. So, just to mention that very quickly, yes. See, I will, this is line 179, Telemachus speaking. See, I will accurately answer all that you ask me. This is Athena C saying, I announce myself as Mentes, son of Ankylos. So again, nothing is as it seems. Is she actually Mentes? No, she is Athena. And she says that she has news. She's heard that the gods are impeding the passage of Odysseus, but he's not dead. If Odysseus is not dead, then we could search for him and we could find him. And Who is it that should search for him and find him if he's not dead? his son of course because he's closest to him well telemachus is his son but in order to search and find odysseus he would need a what he'd need a ship and can you steer a ship and row it yourself so you need what as well some men so he needs to call an assembly and ask somebody for a ship and ask some men to volunteer and then he can outfit the ship with some food and then well you need a goal you need a place to go who could you ask who is it that you can ask about information for Odysseus, or about Odysseus, yes? People at war with him. People at war with him who have made it home, who perhaps have also received received information. Other kings, Nestor, perhaps Menelaus. And so, Athena then walks out, disappears, and will not be seen as mentees again. The next time we see her, we will see her as mentor. Let's talk about book two. Telemachus calls the assembly. And now, this is the first time he's ever called an assembly. I want you to think about the first time you ever gave a presentation. Were you up there looking all like stintor and Stentorian, speaking with 50 voices and taking over the stage? Or were you all knobbly kneed and sweaty palmed and couldn't even speak without spitting on yourself? You. Uh, and just stuttering and, and kind of sweating and you lose your train of thought and then your hair is kind of weird and you're so weird. And oh my gosh, what's going on? And uh, it's hard to speak in front of people. We talked about that, right? And so this is his first time speaking. Is he going to do it well? No, of course not. He needs practice. He needs great practice. And in fact, he calls the assembly. People do show up. That's incredible. They possibly expect something Odyssean. It will not be Odyssean because he does not yet have Odysseus' skills. Though he does have Odysseus' blood. He requests a ship. Ah, but who speaks up against him? The two suitors I told you to look out for. The two leaders of them. Antinous And Eurymachus. They speak rudely to him. And in fact. In fact. Leocrates, A suitor. Makes an ugly claim. About Telemachus. Showing that nobody takes him seriously yet. In fact, let me give you what Leocrates says. Line 242 or so. Then Leocritus, son of Eunor, spoke forth against a Mentor, reckless in words, wild in your wits. And so this is uh, Leocritus speaking against Mentor. Mentor is there Athena, who's taken the form of mentor and she has spoken up against Euromachus and Antinous, suggesting that Telemachus is as good as his word he will do as he expects in fact actually let me go before this is a response that Telemachus gives to Euromachus after Euromachus says that no no I think that you will not go find your father I think that the suitors will end up marrying uh, Penelope then the thoughtful Telemachus said to him in answer line 210 in book two I no longer entreat you in these matters, nor speak about them, since by now the gods know about this, as do all the Achaeans. This is him speaking about the suitors and their doings and their lack of respecting the Zinnia. But come now, grant me a swift ship and twenty companions who can convey me on a course from one place to another, for I am going to Sparta and going to Sandy Pylos to ask about the homecoming of my father, who is long absent. On the chance of some mortal man telling me, or of hearing a rumor sent by Zeus, she more than others, spreads news among people. Then if I hear my father's live and on his way home, then hard-pressed though he be, I will still hold out for another year. And if I hear he has died and lives no longer, then I will make my way home to the beloved land of my fathers and pile up a tomb in his honor and there make sacrifices in great amount as is fitting and give my mother to a husband. Ah. So he spoke, sits down again. mentor speaks up for him. Uh, speaks against the suitors, just to mention really quickly, line 230, uh, 230, I'll I'll read it. Hear me now, line 229, Men of Ithaca, what I have to tell you, no longer now let one who is a sceptered king be eager to be gentle and kind, be one whose thought is schooled in justice, but let him always rather be harsh and act severely, seeing the way no one of the people he was lord over remembers God like Odysseus. And he was kind like a father. Now it is not so much the proud suitors I resent for doing their violent acts by their minds evil devising, for they lay their hands on the line when violently they eat up the house of Odysseus, who they say to themselves will not come back. But now I hold it against you other people, how you all sit there in silence and never with an assault of words try to check the suitors, though they are so few and you are so many. Then Leocritus, son of Eonor, spoke against Mentor, Reckless in words Reckless in words As if it is the goddess Athena being reckless with words So funny Though in this case I'm not entirely sure that it is Athena I'll have to look back through Though they often speak in the same way Mentor and Athena (laughs) Mentor, reckless in words, wild in your wits What a thing you have said Urging them to stop us It would be difficult Even with more men than these To fight us over our feces For even if Odysseus of Ithaca, this is a statement of purpose, for even if Odysseus of Ithaca himself were to come back and find the haughty suitors feasting in his house and be urgent in his mind to drive them out of his palace, his wife would have no joy of his coming, though she longs for it greatly. But rather he would meet an unworthy destiny if he fought against too many. You have spoken to no purpose. Come then, all people disperse now. Each to his own holdings. And Mentor and Halitherses will push forward this man's journey. Since these from the first have been his friends as friends of his father. But I think he will sit still for a long time waiting for messages here in Ithaca. And will never accomplish this voyage. So he spoke and suddenly broke up the assembly. And the people scattered and went their ways each to his own house. While the suitors went away into the house of God like So pretty rude there. Leocritus speaks up against both Mentor and Telemachus and says, you know, the thing is, if you guys want a ship, you'll have to outfit it yourself. And I don't even believe that Telemachus will really do anything at all, because I still think of him as a what? As a child, as a kid. And what does a kid do about problems? Nothing. 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 Cause them, maybe. And so the what Telemachus is going to have to do is take some responsibility. If people are going to look at him differently, if he's going to be Treated like an adult, he's going to have to act like an adult. That's right. All right, book three. I'm going to end the lecture here, actually, on books one and two. We'll get to three and four tomorrow very briefly.